Yevamot Kuf Gimel Amud Aleph and Amud Bet Human Devolution Kol Tavatan Shurushayim Ra'ahi Etzal Tzadikim We tend to assume that humanity is evolving, becoming better, becoming smarter, becoming brighter, and in many cases that's absolutely true. Uh, but from a purely spiritual perspective, from our capacity to access our spirituality and to tune in uh, to the Kedusha, to the sanctity of the Borei Olam, of, of the Creator and of the Torah, uh, we're not evolving at all. We might, in fact, be devolving. You probably know the famous story of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was traveling on a, on a, on a flight uh, with his son, and his son was taking great care of him and paying a lot of attention and checking that he was okay and bringing him something to drink and uh, getting him everything that he needed. And there was a professor on the flight who came up to Yaakov and said to him, uh, I've just got to say to you, I'm completely amazed and, and somewhat jealous of the way your son treats you with such awe and with such respect. Uh, my son doesn't treat me that way at all. He looks at me as, as somewhat ignorant and with a lot of disdain. And Rubiakov said to him, uh, I'll, I'll explain to you the difference. Do you believe in evolution? And, and he said, yes, of course I believe in evolution. Uh, and Rubiakov said, well, while clearly there's a place for evolution and we understand in, in the Torah that, that evolution was part of the mechanism that Hashem used to bring the world to where it is today, but one thing is for sure that the human being is not an evolved ape. Uh, the human being is something far, far greater than that and than that could, could possibly be. And so if you consider the human being as an evolution from the ape, then your son sees you as closer to the ape than he is. Whereas my son believes that the greatest human being that ever lived was Adam Arishon, was first man, and that we've devolved since then, not evolved since then. So he looks at me as being closer to this great being, Adam Harishon, than he is. And, and that's the difference in the way we look at, at generations. From a scientific and a technological point of view, we might look at the earlier generations and say uh, they were ignorant. We might just look at, at one generation ago and see older people who struggle with today's technology and young people might look at them with some degree of disdain. But if we look at them from a perspective of wisdom, of true insight and understanding, of human greatness, of a capacity for sanctity, then there's no comparison between the early generations and, and our generation. And even one generation makes the difference. Just as in technology, one generation makes the difference. And, and one generation ago is so incompetent compared to a current generation. So it is in the area of, uh, of spirituality and Kedushah. One generation makes a huge difference. Uh, and our Gemara today on the bottom of Daf Kuf Gimel Amud Aleph and the beginning of Kuf Gimel Amud Bet actually talks about that to some degree. And here we start with Psukim, not from the Torah, but from Shoftim, in the famous song of Devorah and Barak ben Avinoam um, after the conquest of, of Sisra. And uh, in that song, the uh, Devorah praises the work of, of Yael, who seduces Sisra, who attracts him into uh, her tent and seduces him and in the process kills him, assassinates him, and in that way saves the Jewish people. And the Gemara says, Gemara questions how she could do that. Um, the reason that she could do that, because after all, 
she's getting benefit, she's getting pleasure from, from this activity with a, a non-Jewish person, with a Rasha. She's having an intimate relationship with him. And even though it's for great reason, how is she allowed to take pleasure in that? She's getting pleasure from an Avera. And why would it be, as Tosfut explains, that Devorah would praise her for that? And that Chazal, the rabbis in the Talmud, praise her for that? Why is it such an act of praise? Explains Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, remember, was the author of the Zohar. Uh, and, and he says, Kol tovatan sadikim. When you look at the quality of an experience, it's not just the experience that must be evaluated, but also one has to evaluate where the experience is coming from, who initiates the experience. And so even Tovatan Shorushaim, something which for wicked people would be considered an amazing experience, can very often for a tzaddik, for a righteous person, be something terrible and negative. And we have an example of this, says Rabbi Yochai, with the way Hashem warns Lavan and says to him, Don't speak to Yaakov from good or bad. And the Gemara says, I understand, don't say anything nasty, don't say anything negative or destructive to Yaakov. But why did Hashem forbid Lavan from just saying good morning to him, greeting him, saying something complimentary to him? The tzaddik experiences no pleasure from the acknowledgement of the rasha. When the rasha greets him, if the rasha compliments him, it doesn't mean anything to the tzaddik. In fact, it's contaminating to the tzaddik. And the Gemara says, well, I understand in the case of Lavan, Hashem might have been worried that he would have used some idolatry in his interaction with with Yaakov and Hashem didn't want Yaakov to be contaminated by the idolatry. Uh, but, but what's in, in the case of Yael, where she has this relationship with Sisra, after all, Sisra is the great uh, army general. He must have been the, uh, the, the, the source of, of, of desire of every woman. And, and Yael has him. Surely there's some kind of, of pleasure in that nose, is the Gemara. For a tzaddik having a physical relationship with a rasha, a woman who's a tzaddiket having a physical relationship with a rasha brings her no pleasure. On the contrary, she feels defiled and contaminated by the filth that he infuses into her. And we have a case of that that Rabbi Yochanan mentions with the case of Chava and the Nachash, that we know that in that interaction, it was not only an intellectual interaction, the, the snake in the story of Bereshit, and we know that that wasn't a snake as we know it, it wasn't an animal as we know it. This was almost some kind of semi-human being. And this was some being that was between a human and an animal. Um, we know that he was able to communicate, he was able to speak, he was able to feel jealousy, he was able to scheme and be sly. So clearly this is no animal. There was a breed of, of being that was not quite human and not quite animal, and that's the Nachash. And the Nachash actually seduces Chava, and th that's treated as Hetil Bazohama. He introduced filth into Chava and de demoted her spirituality, as we'll see in a moment in the Marsha. Until the Jewish people came to Har Sinai, at that point, Paskazohamatam, the effect of this demotion of Chava, 
which then translates into all future generations, even Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, all the way through. They had something of this animalistic essence in them that only ceased to exist when the Jewish people came to Har Sinai. And of Dekochavim Shiloh Sinai, idol worshippers who never came to Har Sinai, who never stood there, never accepted Hashem's kingdom, Lo Paskazoamatam, that animalism that was infused into Chava at the at the very beginning of, of the history of humankind, that animalism stays in them, which means that there's a physical difference. It's not just a an emotional or a religious difference. There's a physical difference between the people who accepted Hashem's kingdom and Hashem's supremacy and those that didn't. The people who stood at Sinai and accepted the Torah and keep the Torah and work with the Torah and those that have not done so. And the Maharsha says, When man was first created in the image of Hashem, his neshama came from the highest places, but even his body was made from a very pure substance. The place from which the the altar would stand. Uh, and, And so Adam and Chava are formed from this very, very pure material. And they're among the greatest, they are the greatest human beings that ever lived. And when the snake came, and once the snake had, the Nachash had a relationship with Chava and infused into her this filth that brought her down to the level of other human beings, uh, of other beings, or other human beings, of animals, that there is an area of tum'ah, there is a defilement that is able to attach to them that wasn't able to do so when she was in her purest state. And once again, after the Jewish people stood at Har Sinai, they got to that level as well. So we see an example here of devolution, that, that Adam was at his highest level, and, and Chava too, until this interaction with the snake, and then they become sophisticated animals. So when people say nowadays that the human being is a sophisticated animal, that is true for those human beings who have not stood at Har Sinai, for those human beings who have not spiritualized their physicality, who have not uplifted their physicality back to those high levels that they were. Yes, there is in other human beings, there is an animalism. The human being then is just a sophisticated animal. But when you experience the greatness of of Gedolei Israel, when you're in the presence of one of the great people of Israel, who are masters of Torah, who are masters of themselves, you're in the experience of something that, that is so qualitatively different from any other being that one has had contact with, including any other human being. There's a total qualitative difference between a person who has achieved greatness in Torah and, and one who has not. And each of us needs to be aware of that, that we should never say to ourselves or to anybody else, I'm only human. It's a phrase we use quite often. What do we mean only human? Only human is okay to be said for the level after the Nachash had that relationship with Chava, then you can say, I'm only human, which means I'm a sophisticated animal. But after Har Sinai, we have the capacity to be superhuman. We have the capacity to do things that no other animal could conceivably do, not only in terms of our power of intellect and our power of speech, but even in our power to do chesed, to do things for other people at our own cost, to sacrifice our lives for others when it's necessary to do so. 
Uh, the idea of Mesirut Nefesh, these are things that are totally human. Um, the ability to study the Torah, understand the Torah, and uplift ourselves and the people around us, all of these things are, are human characters that no animal has. And so never should we say we're only human, because if we're truly human, we're superhuman. If we're truly human, we're supernatural. We're able to master our natures and do things against our natures because they're morally right. We're able to do things that don't necessarily encourage our physical survival because they're spiritualized and they're morally right. That's what the human being is. And so although the human being has devolved over generations, there is the potential for enormous greatness in each one of us. And we've got to look back at the original design of Adam, what Hashem, how Hashem created Adam and what his expectations are of, of humankind and do everything we can in our own day-to-day -day lives, in our little ways, to master our natures, to overcome the gravitational pull that brings us down and to soar upwards and, and with that to be able to actualize what humanity really is the godly and the holy being that each of us are.